0: Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Eva Lesko-Natiello, the author of the award-winning thriller The Memory Box. Eva, welcome.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here.
0: I have to chastise you a little bit because I normally go to bed around 9 o'clock at night, and I read for like a half hour, and then I go to sleep because I get up really early in the morning. So I started reading your book a few nights ago, and I did not get to sleep until after I finished it. So I'm still sleep-deprived, and it's your fault.
1: So you read it in one sitting?
0: I read it in one. I won't call it a sitting since I was propped up in bed. But uh, yes, I I could not stop reading it. And uh, it's it's just a phenomenal story.
1: (laughs) Wow. Thank you.
0: So tell listeners who haven't had the opportunity to stay up late into the night reading your book what The the Memory Box is about.
1: Okay, well, the premise of The Memory Box is um, it is about a woman who Googles herself And discovers shocking details of her life that she does not remember. And so she needs to figure out why she doesn't remember these things. And in the meantime, as she's uh, propelled through this crazy downward spiral, uh, she chooses not to share it with anyone. So she's she's on her own. She's frightened to... To share these horrible things that she's discovering on Google about herself with anyone, including her husband and her friends, so it's a bit of a dark tale. It's like it's a psychological thriller. And um, the the reason you made me laugh when you said you were not able to sleep um, when you were reading the book, I was not able to sleep when I was writing.
0: The <laughs> oh, book. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to to live in this world for the period of time it took to read the book.
1: Yeah, I I, I suffered. Insomnia when I was writing. Um, and it's kind of funny because I never intended to ever write a book, by the way. Uh, this book just kind of came to me. Um, and when it came to me, I had sleepless nights. I, I suffered from insomnia for about six months, and to this day, when I'm stuck. In uh, writing the second book that I'm working on now, uh, and I'm stuck in the plot or stuck with a character, I actually have to lay down on the couch, pretend I'm sleeping... (laughs) close my eyes and that's when that's when really big ideas happen to me when i'm in this sort of peaceful state mm-hmm. and pretend and pr- pretending to be in a half sleep
0: <laughs> <laughs> well as i said i normally i'm asleep usually by 9:30 and whenever i wake up for the first time i'm just up it's just you know, if, if it's 1 in the morning, then that's when I'm up for the day. So wow. going to sleep well after the time when I normally get up is, uh, is not a good thing for me. So I did have a nice nap the other day.
1: Well, I don't know whether to feel bad about that or good about that. I'm going to go with good I about think,
0: it. Yeah, I think I, I think I would go good and okay. um uh, but yeah i actually was thinking the same thing that you said about the idea of writing the book and and just being in the story after the next day when i was thinking about it what it must have been like because the the way you wrote the scenes um for the for caroline when all these things are unfolding in her mind and what's going on and the terror that she's engulfed in it's uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty encompassing <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. She's on a it's a it's a really fast read as you know. All right, so th- there had to be
0: some story behind the idea for this. So what what is the story behind the idea? You said you you had no intention of writing a book and and then it just came to you.
1: Right. The, two things happened, um pretty much at the same time one of the things that happened was I was reading the New York Times and I was reading the style section and on the cover of the style section there was a story this was about eight years ago now about people googling themselves so this was before you know we this is when it just started when googling was just starting and people were bragging or comparing how many times their name would come up in a Google search And in that story, there was a 17-year-old boy who was living in Los Angeles who Googled himself and discovered that he was on a missing persons list in Canada, which was obviously very shocking to him. He really didn't know who to confide in that he discovered he was on a missing persons list. He was kidnapped when he was two years old, (laughs) and he was taken from his home. Uh, It was actually his mom who... um, was losing him in a custody battle and she just couldn't bear the thought of that and so she decided she was going to take her son and move to California and she raised him there for 15 years Uh, they had a wonderful uh, life together he had a wonderful childhood so this was a big conundrum for him what what should he do with this news so when I read that story as heartbreaking as it was I thought wow this is an incredible idea for a book where someone can not remember or not know something so intimate about themselves until they Google their name it was it was a just an incredible idea I thought for a story and so that's where I got the real crux of the idea but what happened at the same time was I just recently had moved out of New York city into a suburb in New Jersey and had my second child. And they were, um, a couple of years, I guess they were about three or four at the time where I got this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was meeting moms for the first time and I had quit my job that I had in New York city to stay at home with my children. And, um, I thought, you know what, I, I had a really creative job and now I wasn't using that part of my brain. And I and I thought, you know what, I, I need to I need to do something creative on a daily basis. And so I started writing this story that's set in a suburb not unlike the one I'm living in <laughs> where things on the outside appear very Normal, Very upstanding. It's a beautiful place to live. And people are really nice to one another and respectful of one another. And um, so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to set a dark tale in a, in a place like this? So the setting was inspired from the town I moved into. And it was very much inspired by um, the Stepford Wives. hmm it was that kind of feeling where you're in this upstanding suburb and but you don't know there are there's a dark tale going on
0: and and you you for me at least you hit all those notes perfectly in the book um i'm a little older than you our kids are have been raised and they're gone now but i remember those times living in the suburbs and the moms and the car lines at the school and all these things and some of the cattiness that went on and i'd hear these stories later and uh there's a scene early on in the book where one of the moms is just kind of huddled in the corner pretending to talk on the phone so that she won't be bothered by this hideous woman yes (laughs) who wants to come over and uh and spread rumors. And I could just picture that.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that makes it um, sort of delicious in the first chapter is you do get sucked into this lifestyle, and these gossipy moms are dying to get any kind of dirt on anyone. Um, and so their, their new hobby is to Google everybody in town to dig up stuff. Uh, to talk about so that's why Caroline is completely freaked out because she tries at all costs to avoid these women and now she knows things about herself that she's really petrified uh, for any of this stuff to get out there so um, so that's what makes it delicious I, I I in my mind, anyway. Yeah, and
0: and the the deliciousness carries on throughout the book, uh, just with what's going on in Caroline's mind and how she reacts and this spiral that she goes into. And I don't want to get into any of the details, but it's not just like this happens and then that happens and then the other thing happens. It's these things happen, but then there are reactions within Caroline that cause these other things to happen. And it's just, it's really we're so deep inside her head as readers that it's yeah. uh, it's really fun. And I. I challenge people to, to put it down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I loved writing the uh, I loved writing in first person present with Caroline. um, And I do love the puzzle aspect of it. And that's what brought me a lot of joy when I was writing, um, figuring things out. And, and I tell people all the time, um, because I love to go to book, groups that read the book and and I've been invited now to over 60 book club groups um, in a few short months mm-hmm. uh, and they happen all over the world by the way which is really fun I did one in Scotland on Skype Oh how cool yeah very cool but you get to the really indulgent thing for an author is uh, is that you read you meet your readers and you get their firsthand, look at what's happening and what they think of the characters and what, what their reactions are to the plot and what happens. But I, I tell them all the time that <clears throat> when I was writing The me- Memory Box it was a bit of a problem-solving. It's problem-solving when you write a thriller. You have to figure out how to lead people in one direction, but make sure they end up somewhere else. Um, and so I have diagrams. Uh, on my desk at all times I I write up these diagrams of the house for instance I have uh, a diagram of every floor of the house where the rooms are where people are running or walking or ending up so that everything's consistent and really tight Um, and I have diagrams and maps of the town that I've drawn so that um, there are no again no inconsistencies and you know when you're writing thrillers you have to be so on top of the details, as you know.
0: Did you also diagram sort of the, the crumbs that you were laying out, the, the path that the readers could that, that just really that just keep you turning the pages? Because yes. every few pages, there's something else. And, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is what's going on. So I want to read a little further to see if I was right. And then there's another little cookie crumb there. And yes. I just gobbled them all up.
1: Yeah, the popcorn trail. Yeah. So I definitely had to do that because you can't leave any loose ends and have someone, you know, take a right turn and you're and you're down, you know, taking the left turn. So <laughs> you, you as as fun as that is, they you have to have your reader end up where you are, you know. Um, you can't leave them out in Siberia for too long.
0: All right. Now, this book has been incredibly well received by readers. You've mentioned sixty book clubs uh, on Amazon as of this morning. I think there were four hundred and twenty-three reviews. The overwhelming majority of them very, po- very positive. I saw a blog post that you wrote on uh, soon after you published the book on. The mental process for dealing with bad reviews, because no matter how good a book is, somebody's not going to like it. What was that like for you to get that first bad review?
1: Oh, gosh, that was like a punch in the stomach. Um, You know, I I tell my kids all the time, too, that not everybody's going to like the book, and so I've had to be prepared for reading the the bad review. And sometimes it comes from people who, you know, read three pages and they (laughs) give it a one-star review. And that's that's heartbreaking because they didn't give it a chance, and I think, um, you know, sometimes you should just move on, instead of how could you really give a one-star review to reading three pages of a book? But that that one post that you're talking about came from a person who <clears throat> I think was a really smart person and someone who read the entire book and found things in it that, um, you know, she really didn't like. And it broke my heart. But what I learned from it was... Later that day, I took my daughter to a dance performance in New York, and we were we were in our seats. And I was so down about this review; I really, I really could not shake it. And the curtain went up on on the stage, and the dance. There were dancers that um, started the performance, and in less than a minute, I looked at these dancers, and I said to myself. I know exactly why I am never going to feel down about a bad review anymore, and it's for the very reason of having an audience. I feel so incredibly um, ecstatic that I have an audience, that I'm able to write for one, that people are reading the book. You know, just months before, when I thought the or years before, when I thought the book was never going to get published, actually, mm-hmm. and I had put it aside for a couple of years and thought, okay, well, this book is never getting published. I better move on. You know, there was a time in my life I thought it was, it was never going to be out there, and no one would ever read it, and it would die on my hard drive. And so, and I know there are so many people in the world, writers or, or performers or artists, that will never put themselves out there. They're never gonna have an audience. And how sad that is, for me anyway, because I think when you're a writer, that's, the, that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for your reader and someone to connect with what you've written. So the joy for me now is not in getting the great review or the defeat of getting a bad review. The joy is in knowing that people are reading and responding so i have a totally different outlook on it now and i really cherish every single review that i get and and i have been very lucky that there are so many of them in such a short amount of time
0: yeah, for, for people who may not know, there are authors out there who have written maybe a dozen books who combined don't have 423 reviews. It's, it really is an extraordinary number of reviews, and it, it's just that kind of book. You get done, and you go, wow, I really enjoyed that. I want to tell someone about it. And, of course, for me, it's, you know, it's early in the morning. There's no one to tell, but uh, right. <laughs> you, you can go and, and write a review really quickly and, and tell the world.
1: Yeah, and I think it is the kind of book where you get to the end, and there are some twists and turns that happen after you think you've figured it out, and after you think you've gotten the last one, there's still one more waiting for you, and I think it's the kind of book where you close it and you say what just happened there, you know? Um, And so you're dying to talk to somebody. uh, Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what people are doing, Stephen. Just like you said, maybe no one's around. And also they don't want to talk spoilers because if you're talking about the ending, you probably inevitably will talk spoilers. Right. So they go online and they go to Goodreads or they go, you know, there's a whole lot of conversations on Goodreads about the memory box. So it's very, very rewarding for me.
0: Eva, where can people buy the book?
1: The book is available in Kindle format on Amazon. It's available in paperback at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, independent bookstores, Books a Million. You can find the paperback pretty much anywhere. The Kindle version is available on Amazon.
0: And if you don't find it at your local bookstore, they can get it for you. I, I have no doubt of that.
1: Yeah, everyone can order it from wherever you are, in the world, actually.
0: <laughs> and if you're somewhere else in the world and you have a book club, let, let Eva know. She'd be happy to talk to you.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> What's the best way for people to keep up with your work and learn when your next book comes out?
1: Oh, definitely my website, evanatiello.com. Or you can check me out on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, at Eva
0: And I will have links to all of those in the show notes at crimefiction.fm. So, Eva, thanks so much. It was a treat reading your book and uh, a real pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, Stephen. This is Stephen Campbell for crimefiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or review. Those help other crime fiction readers find great new books, like The Memory Box from Eva Lesko-Natiello. Thanks for listening.